All right, so uh, we're starting a brand new series today. We finished Jeremiah. Uh, it took us longer to do the series on Jeremiah than it took them to build the wall, no lie. But we're done with that now. And so, as promised, we're starting a new series called Shut the Front Door. And I know, I know, because I get snickers every time I say the title, what that means. But uh, what, I'm, what I really mean is that, you know, a lot of times we work, worry about the devil sneaking in the back door in our lives, and we leave the front door wide open for him. And we need to stop doing that. Um, we, we have these things in our lives, we kind of just let the devil get a foothold. And it's like he's got a key to our house. You know, he's just in whenever he wants. He takes up residency there. And you'll know these things are there because there's something beating you all the time. So I can never resist this. I can never stop doing this, no matter how hard I try. Well, that's because he has got a key to your front door in that area. And so we want to look at those, and we're going to look at them kind of specifically. But before we get there, I thought, you know what? Uh, every one of these things starts as a temptation that we fall to. And so I thought before we, uh, before we get into the in specifics, let's go kind of a general, you know, big, big brush stroke kind of a look at how, how can we keep losing this fight against temptation? And I say we, by the way, I'm not saying you, you know, poor you, I'm righteous, I don't have this. Uh, I have it too. And because of that, I've actually done a huge study of why do I keep losing? It's really frustrating to me when I lose. You know, I, I keep coming back to it. I keep, you know, I just need John Madden or something there. Now. Well, here's where you went wrong, you know, something like that. So I would know it, um, but I don't. So I've been kind of looking at this for a long time in my life. And I think I have uh, some, some things to share with you about maybe what you don't understand about temptation and why it's beating us. So I want to walk through that. And I'm going to do this in a little bit different way than I normally do. You know, usually I flood my sermons with Scripture. I have tons and tons of Scripture. This one's going to be a little bit lighter on Scripture. It's going to be very, very heavy. You brace yourself on video. Uh, because I'm actually going to take apart an old uh, movie. Well, it's actually a TV show, but it's shot like a movie. Uh, you guys, if you know, I'm a movie buff. You can't be a movie buff, just in case you call yourself one. You can't be a movie buff without being a fan of Alfred Hitchcock's movies, because he's probably the greatest director of our time. So uh, we're actually taking apart something Alfred Hitchcock did. And the reason I'm doing it is because I actually think this reaches into, and the reason this thing resonates, is because he taps into something that's really true. Uh, the writer of this story amazingly, is a, is a children's author. Uh, the guy who wrote James and Giant Peach wrote this story that, that, that they made into a mini, uh, mini show on TV. And it stars Steve McQueen, which, you know, this is like, could be a movie. Steve McQueen, by the way, did anybody see the movie that came out of Steve McQueen this year? Anybody? I don't know if you guys know this, but Steve McQueen in the later years of his life became a very devout Christian. It was a, it was a movie that was done that showed that. It was really kind of cool. So you might want to look at that's on, um, that's on Netflix now and Amazon. So you want to look at that. But anyway, so this, this story that they tell, you know, it gets, it's Hitchcock, so it gets macabre. But um, it starts out with a really brilliant portrait of temptation and shows how the devil, there's a character here that could be like the devil personified who comes in and tempts. And I want to break it down because I think they really tapped into something very, very important. So it starts out, it's in Vegas. Uh, Steve McQueen's a young gambling guy who has, I think later on, he says something like he has a dollar eighty nine in his pocket and one chip left, right? So he's taking a break in the lounge and he meets this lovely young lady, played instantly by his wife, but meets this lovely young lady and they're kind of hitting it off, and you think that's what this story's going to be, because that's what Hitchcock does. He sets up one thing, and he comes at you with something else. And right as they sit down, they're kind of getting going, a little flirting back and forth. This creepy guy comes up, sits down right between them, says, you don't mind if I sit here, do you? And they're like, yeah, we do. But he just ignores it, and uh, he asks uh, Steve McQueen for a light. Oh, 
interesting lighter you have. Excuse me? The lighter, it's interesting, it's efficient. Well, it's the uh, best lighter money can buy. 99 cents in your corner drugstore. You see what I mean? Never misses. Never misses? Never? Well, I'm not a firebug. I never took a whole day off to test a 99 cent lighter. Bye now. All right, so that's the setup. Now, what happens here is this. This is what the devil does. He'll take a weakness of ours or just even just the f something flesh. It could be, you know, food. It can be gambling in his case. It can be a lot of different things. He'll take that, and then he'll also mix it with a character flaw. Now, this guy, who is the devil, has now picked up on the fact that Steve McQueen's a little bit cocky, and he's sitting there in Vegas. He's a gambler. So he's going to take these two things, and then he's going to mix it. And this is why it's the devil's drink. He takes this thing that you really like. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be. In this case, it's gambling. It doesn't have to. It could be food. It doesn't matter what it is. He takes something you like. He'll, he'll, he'll use it with a character flaw, and then he'll mix in a perversion. And you need to get that. The devil always will bring in a perversion. That's what he spikes his drinks with that he's offering you. And that's what happens now. This guy goes back to Steve McQueen as he's trying to leave, and he offers him a bet. You see, I'm a very rich man, and... I'm a sporting man. My car is right outside. It's a beautiful convertible. It's this year's model. What about it? Well, I'll tell you what about it. The car is part of the bet. Now, the bet is really very simple. If you can make this celebrated lighter of yours work for you ten times without missing, ten times in succession, mind you, then the car is yours. What do I put up? My spare set of pajamas? Oh, I'm going to make it easy for you. Easy for you to win a car, I mean. Well, I'm thinking of some small thing that you could afford to give away, and such as the little finger on your left hand. My what? He wins, he takes the car. I win, I take his finger. Is that so strange? Now, what do you mean, if I lose, you take the finger? How else? I chop it off. Let's get out of here. Okay, so there's the perversion, right? He always will add a perversion to it. That's the spike in the drink. And sometimes I know that people kind of like have this idea that, you know, God's trying to make us good and the devil's always just trying to let us have fun. You know, he's, he's coming around trying to make you have fun. You need to understand that Satan doesn't come to you to cater to your earthly desires. He's coming to destroy you. And, and you have to understand that because you have to understand who he is. He is trying to destroy you. He's not just simply trying to make you, f you know, physically happy here on earth. I don't know why. Uh, in 1 Peter, I told you we'd get some scriptures in here. In 1 Peter, he says this, be alert, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, here's the perversion. I mean, you, obviously, it's creepy, right? Chop off my finger. But there's something way, way, way more perverted than just, oh, that's a little something. And this is something Satan always does. We'll see it in some other scriptures, too. Uh, he will always offer you something temporal in exchange for something permanent. Because here's the deal. You can have this beautiful new convertible. That's not going to last, is it? How long will that last? Maybe, maybe a couple of years. If you're a gambling kind of guy, you're probably flipping through your cars every two years, right? The average person goes through a new car every 18 months. Two years, three years max, three years. But if he loses, that finger's gone forever. And this is what Satan does. And he says, well, this is fair. It's small. It's hardly, you won't even notice it. See, what he's always coming to you and he's trying to do, he's trying to destroy your relationship with God. It, it, you, you can come back to him later. But what we have to understand is these disconnects he makes in our relationships with God stunts our spiritual growth. 
And that's what he's after. If you can keep interrupting that enough and stunting our growth enough, we'll never make it to the next step in our lives. So he's always actually offering us something temporary in, replace, in exchange for something permanent. Now, what do you do in that? Well, he came at me with this bet that's kind of perverted and twisted. So you do what Steve McQueen does. You do this. Is it a bet? I don't think so. And he leaves. Unfortunately, he only goes two tables over and has a seat. Now, the Bible says this um, in 2 Timothy. It says, flee, flee. Run away as fast and as hard as you can from this. Run. Don't stop running. The move here is to leave that room and that casino. There's other casinos in Vegas. You just met a lovely lady. Go there. Go talk to, him, talk to her someplace else. Don't stay. He only moves one table away and sits back down. And you have to know that Satan always expects you to say no the first time. That's why he asks you a hundred times. He doesn't stop coming. You have to know that. He will not stop coming. If you just move a little bit further away, he will keep coming. And the problem, the reason why Christians keep falling for this is because instead of fleeing from him, we end up flirting with him. Because moving a table over is just flirting. You know, you want to be pursued. And a lot of times we'll let Satan pursue us because we want to get caught. And that's what we have to understand. He's trying to destroy us. This isn't a fun little game to you. So now all of a sudden, uh, Satan comes back, right? But he's not going to come back and ask you the same thing again. He's got lots of moves, right? He's going to change the debate. Let's not talk about that weird twisted thing about losing your finger. Sure, sure, sure. Let's not talk about that. Uh, let's, let's switch to something else and let's make this whole thing about something completely different. I understand. I understand very easily. It must be like I've been reading so many times, you know, that, that the generation, the young generation grows soft and that the starch is leaving the spine. Here are the keys to the car. What do you say? Now, let me get this straight. You want me to go up to your room, and if I light this ten times in a row, I get the convertible. That's correct. If I miss just once. That's right, just once. I forfeit the little finger on my left hand. Now you understand. Yeah, now you understand. So we're coming back to it again. But what he's done is he's challenged his manhood in front of a girl he's trying to pick up. Now, you know, he basically double-dog daring Steve, Steve McQueen. Does, does double-dog daring somebody actually work? Why would Satan waste his time on this? Like, this is like so dumb. You see this coming away. This would never work, right? Have you ever heard of the Tide Pod Challenge? Do you think anybody ate the Tide Pod because they thought it tasted good? <laughs> I mean, the whole purpose of the Tide Pod Challenge was to see if you could do it. It was the, one of the dumbest things, and it took off. You know, they actually thought Tide was going to make an announcement during their Super Bowl telling people, please stop doing it. But they did their study, and they realized it would make it worse. People were, I don't know if you know about this, but kids were eating these, right? Some, kid, some kids ran up in the hospital over it because it was a challenge. Double dog dare you. It's perverted and twisted. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Why was it working? Because just human beings have these things in us. We're trying to show people something. Some, somebody somewhere we're trying to show. It's the most strange thing. This works. It doesn't work all the time, but he's got 99 more to try. If this works, great. If not, fine. The reality is it's already worked. Now, if you were to talk to Steve McQueen's character at this point, and you're like analyzing it later like a reporter, and you said, at what point did you know you're going to take this bet? He would say, well, I wasn't sure yet. Yes, he was. And you know he was sure because of what he says next. Now, just one other thing. I'd like to see the convertible. Huh? Of course you'd like to see the car. 
Yeah, of course. Just going to look at it. That's all. No, your decision's already made. We have to understand that the battle was lost long before the casualties get counted, right? And the big problem we have, and one of the biggest problems we keep falling to temptation, is because we continue to fight it after the point of contact. We need to start fighting at the point of contact. We don't. We wait until we're way too late. It's too late right now for Steve McQueen to fight this. He's already made up his mind. I just want to see what color of the convertible that I'm going to win is. Right? He's already made up his mind. Now he's just kind of you know, playing for time. It's, it's just stalling for time to make it look like he's thinking. He's already made his decision. And we do the same thing. By not leaving, by not fleeing, by not fighting it when it, when it first approached us, when it grossed us out, uh, he's able to continue to pull us in. Satan will always have perversion. He's trying to destroy you. He is not catering to your whims. I don't care what your specific sin is. And we've all got them. We all have something we struggle with, right? Everybody has something. Uh, it could be absolutely anything. I don't know if it's drugs or if it's food or if it's relationships or whatever. Let me take one that everybody knows about, at least at some level. At least they've heard about it. Let me take internet porn. Statistically, by the way, 8 out of 10 people here have participated at some point in their life in internet porn. In fact, it's a lot closer than some time in your life. Okay, so let me take that one. It seems to be fairly universal. I can promise you that if you've done that, if you've gone online, you started looking at stuff, there, there was these options available to you, right? And at first, when you looked at all the options, there was some part of it, about, oh, that is gross, disgusting, twisted, and perverted. I can't understand why that's even there. That's gross, disgusting. I would never, ever, ever. I'm going to stay over here. This is so almost innocent. It's almost like art, you know? I'm going to stay way over here on the left side of the scale. I'm not touching that twisted, perverted stuff, but if you keep going, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you'll find yourself moving up that scale. And you will find yourself in a year looking at stuff that the year before would have grossed you out. Why? Because Satan keeps adding perversion to his drink. He's trying to twist you and pull you away. That's the whole point. So this whole thing is just simply a matter of twisting it and pulling away. He's using his pride. He's using his love of gambling to win something easy. Let me, let me pull you into that. The problem is that Steve McQueen thought he's met a stranger in a bar and they both came up with this weird idea together. What he's actually met is somebody who has definitely done this before. your fist. That's fine. Just fine. Except uh, that the little finger should be sticking out alone. Yeah, he's done this before. He's done this with many people, and yet he was still willing to make the bet. What is this telling you, right? And so this is what happens. When we start getting into this thing with the devil, and we think it's new, it's not new to him. He's done it a million times or more before. You're playing in his playground now. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has seen a hundred or million other Christians already respond to everything you're doing. He knows every move a human being can make here. And he's got something for them all. And he's prepared. He is prepared to make sure you lose. There is a saying you may have heard before, never wrestle with a pig. You just get dirty and the pig enjoys it. All right? When you end up getting into something with the devil, you're going to lose. And he's loving it. 
He's loving every single minute of it. And of course, now this is Hitchcock. So he builds this. I can't show it to you all because it takes a long time. But he builds this slowly as you watch every one of these lighter clicks. You ready? Uh-huh. I'm ready. One. Okay, but Satan can afford to be patient. You know why? As long as you're playing, you're going to lose. Same reason Vegas can afford for you to be patient. The house always wins in the end. Yeah? If we get the car, there's going to be a boat. If we get the boat, there'll be a plane. If there's a plane, there's a house. He's going to keep going until eventually he loses. You understand? Satan can be patient. He's got all kinds of things to keep offering you. Now, the, really, the, the real story here, it should really honestly just end in blood. You know, if this were really a uh, Christian-based uh, reality story, that's how it happens. Since it's not, uh, it gets interrupted, and Hitchcock kind of, sh- kind of takes back the curtain a little bit in case you've missed it and shows you just how macabre this thing really is. Seven. Carlos! Carlos! Give it to me, Carlos. Give it to me now. Why, Carlos? Why? Why would you do this thing again? I just want to make a little bet. Did he bet you a car? That's right. Convertible. He has no car. The car is mine, and he knows it is mine. That's such a shit. It's one little thing. So Hitchcock, his little touches. Uh, he goes over to light a cigarette for his girlfriend or, you know, new girlfriend because she's drinking heavily by this point, and this happens. What makes it so contemptible that he should bet with what he does not own with all his talk of sportsmanship? So at eight, it would have failed, right? And so that's kind of what it shows. Now, that is really what happens. It would have failed. He was going to lose. It got interrupted, and then he actually shows us this one other thing as well for somebody who plays with the devil. He had nothing to bet with, I assure you. Not one thing in this world, because I managed to win it all. I won it all in the end. You always lose in the end. By the way, that game's not over. He's going to come back and he'll win the rest of it. Because this is what Satan does. He never stops. You understand he's there to destroy you. That's the purpose of it. Okay. So this is kind of the very graphic, I hope, visual. I want, next time you're caught in a little game with Satan, I want you to remember how they end. You know, I hope the visual helps on that. Uh, by the way, Hitchcock wanted to show the actual hand. They wouldn't let him in 1962 when this was first done. He came back and remade it in 1995. Uh, and they actually did it. So um, you can go look for that online if you want to watch the whole thing it's called the man from the south but let me now take us to i want to show you the first temptation now this is bible and you're going to see a lot of the same patterns take place now satan's not as good yet because this is the first time he's ever tempted a human being but he learns quick so um, this is something we all know is the story that takes place in the garden of eden and the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the lord god had made and he says to the woman of course the theologians believe a couple things first of all the serpent here probably wasn't a snake as we know it it was probably very much bigger and uh, had legs for for sure and other things as well and uh anyway so the, the devil is speaking to eve through this 
uh, this big serpent. Okay, and he says to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat anything from any tree in the garden? Is that clear? Now, I, I want you to kind of back up for just a second, put yourself in Eve's place. Eve has the greatest home in the world. Now, um, I believe that probably they had some kind of a shelter and home base built. We don't know that. You know, they didn't have any rain yet, but there was still wind, you know. And I believe probably before Eve got there, Adam being a guy probably would just go to sleep wherever he was at the moment, you know. But I think once Eve came along, no, we're going to have a house. We're going to have a home. We're going to build a shelter. Maybe angels built it for him. I don't know. But I think she started making a shelter. We come back here. You know, we will sleep here every night. Now, you know, the other thing is they're naked and she's perfect. He'll sleep pretty much wherever she says. So I'm sure that they had a home there, right? They kind of had this place they went to. And again, I'm generalizing a little bit, but I think women have this kind of, they call it a nesting instinct. I think actually nests are based on a woman's instinct. But she has this wanting to make a home. I think that women have a different feeling for their home than men do. And we like parts of our home. We like the idea of home. We might be proud of how big it is or how much it costs or something. But women, that home reflects their personality most of the time. It's like there's something about that that's part of them, right? So I want you to put yourself in Eve's position because on one hand, she's got the greatest home in the world. It's paradise, right? But um, there is this one thing in paradise. She has a tree she can't eat out of. Now picture yourself. You marry women. You marry into your, your husband's family and you find out the family has given you guys this wonderful mansion it's like everything you've ever wanted in a house it's plenty big enough it's got walk-in closets it's got this great kitchen you know Uh, it's got all the appliances maybe a swimming pool this beautiful yard the picket fence whatever you like this is the perfect house on the third floor of the perfect house there's a door and there's a sign that says do not enter right and you know as, as you're getting shown around your wonderful new home you come to that and say, why can't I go in there? And, and the guy says, I don't know. But as part of the deal, the family giving us the home, you may never, none of us may never enter into that door. Okay. I think if that were to happen, there are two kinds of people. One kind of person would say, well, let's just drive all over it and stick a painting there, right? I just, let's just take care of that right now. And those, you know, those people like my wife, because that's the rules. We will follow the rules. And then there's people like me who say, why not? Why can't I look in that? Can I just peek? How about if I look under the crack? And I'll, you know, that's me, right? And I think, I think Eve had some of that in her. She's curious, right? It's not necessarily an evil thing, but she's curious. She wants to know. And Satan's playing around it. He's not coming straight at it, right? She doesn't have any sin in her life like we do. She doesn't have a sin nature. So he has to be very careful here. And so he comes in and says, huh, this is a really great place you have. Ooh, shame you can't eat any of the fruit. That would be good if you could eat the fruit, right? She goes, wait a minute. And all she has to do at this point is say, well, that's not true. I don't know where you heard that. I can eat fruit. And it's over. But she doesn't. That's not what happens. So what he's actually doing at this point is he's coming in to attack the flesh. He's hoping he can probe and prod and find some weakness there that he can maybe exploit. And she gives it right up to him. She goes, well, that's not true. We can eat from any in the garden. That's fine. Uh, we just can't eat uh, the fruit which is in the center God told us, in fact, that you can't eat from that or even touch it or you will die. Okay, so that gives him his opening now. So now uh, he's going to come in. He's going to add the perversion. He's going to say, oh, no, no, that's that's not true. You will surely not die. All right, so now he's found this little thing in her flesh that he can kind of pull her in with. And a little tiny character flaw, maybe she can exploit. She's a little too curious. But now he's going to end it, enter in the perversion, right? He's going to end the perversion by saying, uh, you, you will not, uh, you will surely not die. And the perversion is this. He's going to challenge the word of God. 
God is good and cannot lie. And Eve knows enough to know that. God can't lie. Satan just said, oh, that's not true. Well, what is he doing? He's calling God a liar. See, that's the perversion. Because he's got to get her to buy not only the fact that that fruit's okay, but he's got to get her to believe that God can lie to her. Because that makes God evil, right? So he has to disrupt her belief in God. So he's going to challenge the word of God. And he says, look, actually what's going to happen is God knows when you eat that, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. That's the whole thing. He just doesn't want you to be like him. So he's really not trying to pull her in a little bit. He's trying to use that curiosity to pull her in. And that's the full-on perversion, right? Now, the interesting thing about this is why would she believe the snake? Why in the world would she even give this guy two seconds to believe anything it's saying to her? It didn't even know about, you got the first part wrong, right? It says, oh, you can't even anything. And he's completely wrong about that, completely wrong. But we're going to listen to this guy, this snake. We're going to listen to him because he's starting to pull her in now. He's pulled her in for the weakness of the, of the flesh. And, he, and, and this is something kind of bother her a little bit. Why can't I eat out of that? And so he's pulling her deeper, deeper in. And remember what Steve McQueen said. Now, let me first see that car, right? Eve does exactly the same thing. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, it does have good fruit on it. In fact, it was delight to the eyes. And in fact, now all of a sudden, this is the most beautiful tree in the garden, right? And that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from his fruit and she ate, right? So that's what happens. The first, let me see the car. Well, maybe I'll go look at it. Well, you know what? I'm just looking at that fruit right there and I can see that it looks really good. So therefore, the snake must be right, God must be wrong. Because I'm looking at it, and boy, my eyes wouldn't lie to me. It must be good, right? <coughs> and how would you be able to look at anything and saying it's desirable to make one wise? You have no idea. You know, it could be sour fruit for all we know. But she's looking at it, she says, you know what? I am looking at it, now that you mention it, snake, and I kind of do see your point. It's really a great-looking tree with wonderful fruit. If Satan can get us to trust our sight instead of God's word, he wins. You have to understand that's what he's trying to do. God may have said this. That may be mean his Bible. It may be written down. But just take a look at it, would you? Just take a look at her. Just take a look at him. Just take a look at it. If you would just spend some time to look at it, I think you'll see I'm right. And if we start trusting that, what I see, what I feel, what I hear, Instead of what God has said, he wins. Now it's just waiting for the finger to get chopped off. That's all it is. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. In um, Corinthians, he says this. Look, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is Paul saying Satan's offering you something temporary for something permanent. But we're not going to look at this temporary thing. We're looking at what's permanent. We're looking at God. We're looking at eternity. Keep our eyes focused on that. That's how we get out of this, right? But Satan's like, nah, look what's in front of you. Come on. It doesn't matter. It's going to be gone tomorrow. Look at it now. There are so many people who have wrecked their careers or wrecked their marriages or wrecked their families for something that lasted less than an hour. Uh, People who have built up careers that took years, lost them, because of one hour's worth of pleasure. People have lost families forever, hated to this day by the kids they gave birth to because of something that was very temporary. So if Satan can get you looking instead of listening, 
If we can start looking and trusting our eyes, then we are easy prey for the next step. Now, this is pretty bad. So we've seen Steve McQueen almost lose his finger. We've seen Eve you know, lose her relationship with God. Um, let's look at a Satan loss. I don't want to leave there all depressed here. I want to give you, give you one win here. Because he's tried this many, many times in the Bible. By the way, he's, he's succeeded many times in the Bible. Look at David. He's sitting there looking at Bathsheba instead of being where he should be. And he, he had a horrible sin in his life. You know, this is always happens. You know, just get us to look at something, get our eyes distracted, and we'll start following our own ideas instead of God's. But it didn't always work. In fact, one very, very important place it didn't, and this shows up in each of your Gospels, this is when Satan tried to tempt Jesus Christ, who just plays a better game uh, than Satan, right? So um, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That bothers some people, this idea that the Spirit led him for the sole purpose of being tempted. I think that, um, by the way, that that verse there is, is subjunctive, so it could also be translated. This might make you feel better. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, where he would be tempted by the devil. And the Spirit certainly knew he was going to be tempted. But I believe that like all wilderness experiences, Jesus was being sent there in order to get his antenna tuned into God. That's what he takes us all in the wilderness for. I believe that Jesus went there for the same purpose. Moses went there in the wilderness for that purpose. It took Moses 40 years. Jesus went there. It took him 40 days. He's just that good, right? So I believe that's what's happening here. But after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. No kidding. You know, I, I, I fast one day and I'm, I'm hungry by five or six o'clock. So he became hungry. So what is that? Well, that's a weakness in the flesh. It's not an evil thing, but hunger is a weakness in the flesh, surely. And so he's got something he can exploit here. He waits. He doesn't go the first day Jesus goes up there. There's no way. He goes back up there when he's hungry. And he's going to go in there. He's going to attack him in the flesh, right? It's the very first thing he's going to do. And the tempter comes and says to Jesus, you know what? If you were the son of God, you could turn these stones into bread. That's what the son of God could do. If you're the son of God, you could do that. What he's doing now is the same thing he did to Eve. He's questioning God's word. And that is actually a perversion because he wants to get Jesus to question God's word. Well, what's he mean he's questioning God's word? Well, let me back up before Jesus goes into the wilderness because the last thing we see in the previous chapter is this. He gets baptized. Let me show you. Backing up here before he goes to the wilderness. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Word of God said, Jesus is my Son. So what happens now? He comes back and he says, Well, if you were, you know, the Son of God, if that were true, then you could change the stones into bread. Well, he is the Son of God. You know how he knows? Because God said so. You know, we are who God says we are. We're not who we think we are. We're not who our parents were. We're not who other people say we're. We are exactly who God says we are. You know why? Because God creates with his, with his words. And when he creates something that says, this is what you are, that's what you are. And when he says that you are my child, that's who you are. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're his child. And he said to Jesus, you're my son. Not only you're my son, I am pleased with you. I am very, very pleased with you. I'm well pleased with you. That's the word of the Lord. And so Satan goes, well, you know what? If you were really the son of God, and you could turn these stones into bread, 
And uh, so he says, why don't you go ahead and do that? But um, in step three, yeah, there is no step three. You know why? Because Jesus is better than that. He just shuts this down right here and right now. He says, that's, that's, I'm not going to even play your silly little game, Satan, because it was written, man shall not live on bread alone. Where is it written? It's written in God's word. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. Man shall not live by bread, on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what Jesus is actually doing is claiming a promise of God here. You want to know how you get out of temptation? You flee from the devil, and as you're running, you claim a promise of God. That's how you get out of it, right? Here's what the devil does. He starts trying to play on all kinds of different things in your head. Well, you've got to finish it now. <laughs> or you, you start, you might as well finish, you've already sinned. Right? Or, or you know what, you gave your word you'd meet this person for this rendezvous. You don't want to break your word, do you? It is weird how Satan would do all kinds of things and play these games in our mind, try to get you. And Jesus is like, I'm not having any of it. Here's what the word of God says. You can shut up, because here's what the word of God says. He says that, I, that, that man shall not live by bread alone. Now, where does that come from? That comes from Deuteronomy. And what's happened in Deuteronomy is Moses is explaining to the, to, to the Israelites something very, very important. He says, you're going to remember always that your Lord God led you all the way. He pulled you out of bondage. He led you all the way, and he's taking the promised land. You're going to remember that. And here's how you're going to remember it. To humble you and to test you, to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not, he humbled you and allowed you to feel that hunger, and then he fed you with manna. You didn't carry it with you. He fed you with it. Why? Because he wanted to show you that he would provide for you. And he wanted to get you to trust him. That was the purpose of it. And therefore, he can net, let you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, what God says is true. And if you claim that, he'll take care of you. And when Jesus is saying to Satan, I don't need to turn these into bread. When I need bread, my father provided. I'm not here for parlor tricks. I'm not here to prove myself to you. I'm here to speak with my father. Leave me alone. See, that's what happens. Uh, and it, 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 we have to understand that he's always going to try to come at us. And as long as we're in a conversation with him, we lose. It always, always, always happens that way. He will always offer you something temporary right in front of you and try and get you exchange this thing for this permanent. And when we see Jesus warn his disciples. He knows very well what Satan's up to. And he says, look, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I come that they might have life. And this is how Satan's temptations get defeated. Now, the one thing that we know is that they always can be defeated. Don't sit there thinking you can't. You can't. I've, I've told this story before. I have a friend who's no longer a pastor. He's now a seminary professor. Probably good he got out of the pastorate because he did something I've always wanted to. He was talking to somebody, a, a woman, who was having an affair. And they're the the couple was in his church, and so the woman was talking to him and ex- trying to explain why uh, she needed to leave her husband and she needed the church's blessing for it. And this pastor was trying to talk to her, and she was just saying, you don't understand, I just love this guy so much. I just made a terrible mistake by marrying my husband to begin with. And they had kids. And he says, uh, you know, not binus, but you don't understand, there's, there's an attraction to this man I've never felt before in my life. It's just so different. And she's, you know, she knew him from work. And she's the very first time we got together was in his office. And I mean, to tell you, our eyes locked. And it was like just so strong. There was no way I could possibly have even begun to resist it. And it actually, the first time actually happened right there in his office. It was just amazing. And I just no way could, could resist it. <laughs> My friend said, whoa, 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 let's get this straight. He's like looking up from his notes. 
let me get this straight. Um, so you're saying that th when you two looked, you're going to come together, and there was nothing in the world, any way that you could have stopped. She goes, no. She said, he said, was the door locked? She goes, no. That's the thing that was amazing. The door was shut, but it wasn't locked. He says, so if your husband and three kids walked in the room right at that moment, you still would have gone ahead and done it? You know, he's looking at his notes, looking at her. He says, well, well, of course not. My kids walked in the room. He says, well, I guess there was something you could have done then, right? But we like to blame the tempter. Oh, Satan was just too good. He was just too strong. No, we just let ourselves get deeply, deeply enmeshed in his temptation. And we got way past the point of contact when we should have been fleeing because we knew what he was all about. And we flirted with him. And he just keeps twisting it and twisting it and twisting it until you don't know up from down anymore. There comes a point <coughs> when you're gone. But that point happens well after you can get out. In fact, we have this promise from God. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, No temptation has ever overtaken you, but which is common to man. In other words, you think you were tempted? Everybody gets tempted. <laughs> it's nothing new. It's not unique to you. Everybody gets tempted, right? And so he, he will not, though, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. He's always giving you a way out, so he's saying. There's always a point where you can get out. There's always a way out of the temptation. But we just want to say, no, that one was too strong. No. All we have to do at the very first contact, we throw a promise of God at him, and we run away. Because what is permanent, our relationship with God, is worth more than any temporary thing that the devil can offer us. Or we can keep playing and eventually choppy chop. Would you all please pray with me?